We are continuing our series called Our Salvation as we are making our way to Christmas. And we wanted to take a moment to remember and to celebrate the incredible salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for us uh, and to once again refamiliarize ourselves with the understanding of what it means to be saved. And what a glorious thing it is to know that you have been saved in and through Jesus Christ. I think that all of us at one time or another question or maybe even doubt our salvation. For one reason or another, circumstances have come about in our lives that would have caused us to doubt or to uh, question or to even uh, uh, maybe rethink altogether our salvation in Jesus Christ. And those circumstances can sometimes be overwhelming. And I wanted to take a moment to remind us at this point of the year, as we gather together and when we remember Jesus Christ here at this time at Christmas, last week we remembered that Jesus Christ rescued us. He rescued us from sin, from death, from the evil one, from the wrath of God. And we stated that this is only the beginning of the salvation that we have. It continues on and it develops into the relationship that God had always desired to have with us. But yet we severed there in the Garden of Eden at that moment in time where we decided that we knew what was best for us. That the perfection in which God created us within wasn't sufficient for our interaction with God, and therefore we decided to listen to that voice, the voice that tempted Eve, that said, did God really state and say? And of course, Eve not fully knowing and understanding that which God had stated, therefore succumbed to the temptation, and all that God had created that was good was then infected by sin and death. And ever since that, each and every person born in Adam has been born in sin and in death. And therefore, man found himself, herself, in a position of hopelessness. Before God, we could do nothing to save ourselves. Before God, we could absolutely in no way, shape, or form ever save ourselves from the situation that we now found ourselves within. And as a result, we therefore became desperate for a Savior. And though man tried in his attempts to reach God through his own endeavors, from the Tower of Babel on, God knew that that was an impossibility and that man would suffer in his sin and death for all eternity if God were not to have saved us from his position by sending us a Savior. If God didn't intervene, you and I would have been lost forever. And in the beginning work of the Savior, the rescue mission, the recon mission, to seek and to save those who are lost, He rescued us again from the death that sin uh, produced. 
He released us from the sin within our own hearts and minds. He released us from the sway and the rule of the wicked one and ultimately allowed us to stand free from the wrath of God. But He didn't just leave us there. See, Christianity is more than man's attempt to try to please God in and of himself, in and of herself. It is a relationship that God once again desires to reestablish in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And as a result, Christ therefore not only saved us from sin, from death, from the evil one, but he also saved us from the wrath of God. And in so doing, After saving us from those things, the next thing that occurred was one of the greatest aspects of our Christianity, which is never discussed. And that is our adoption. Our adoption into the family of God. Now let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever been adopted? I was. Being adopted, I think, was one of the most incredible experiences that I have had in this life, even though I was unaware of it at the time. But knowing that my biological parents were willing, because of one reason or another, to give me up for adoption, and another family taking me, adopting me, calling me their son, Uh, supplying the needs that I would have as a child and as a young man, taking on the responsibility of parenthood and etc. And in all of it, they gave me something that I could not give myself, an identity. They allowed me to be part of a family that was unbeknownst to me. I think adoption is one of the most incredible uh, gifts that our world uh, can provide for individuals who are incapable of having children or uh, feel the pull to adopt a child that's already been born. I think adoption is absolutely incredible, and I always felt that way. I always felt blessed that my mom you know, made the decision not to abort me, but to go through nine months Therefore, having me, and then after that, being willing to give me up for adoption. Now, the more expedient thing on her mind may have been an abortion, but she was willing to go through all of that to allow me to live. And as a result, I have now grown to be the man who I am today. Many have asked, am I interested in finding my biological parents? And I have prayed about that for a very, very long time. I was adopted through an agency called The Cradle in Evanston, Illinois. And they hosted a program that if I were to have sent a letter in and my biological parents were to have sent a letter in, they would have therefore forwarded the letters to each of the respondents and therefore connecting us with each other and allowing each other to meet. And I wrote a letter and I put it in my desk drawer. And I've been waiting and watching for uh, a long time to see if the Lord would open a door for me to send it. Now let me also state that I do know a little bit about my biological parents. 
My dad, in the 1970s, after watching a series called Roots, became absolutely, um, incredibly uh, fascinated with genealogies. And he mapped his genealogy all the way back to Germany. And he did a phenomenal job. We went all over the country looking for different uh, items that he needed to continue on the genealogy. But then he finally came to a point where he ran into a roadblock. And as a result, his endeavors were frustrated. So he decided that he wanted then to find out who my biological parents were. And my dad, he is a phenomenal researcher, began to look through the evidence and he found that my father, in 1968, was a professor at Northwestern University in Evanston here. And that my mother was a student at Northwestern University. And knowing that, I often wondered, obviously being a college student at that time and faced with the reality of being pregnant with a child outside of marriage, and it was the 60s on top of that, I often wondered if her giving me up for adoption was her trying to do the best she possibly could at that moment, and who knows where she is at now or where my dad is at now, but I felt that, you know, I was going to leave that door closed. I wasn't going to pursue it any further. I didn't know if I were to show up on her door that she had started a new family with a new husband and never mentioned the fact that she had a baby in college. I didn't know what to anticipate. I do know that 87% of all biological reunions are difficult to say the least. My sister found her parents. Her dad is in jail for manslaughter. She has six siblings that her mother has had with other men. And now that that door is open, she hasn't been able to close it, and her mother has caused some great difficulties in my sister's life. But I still believe that adoption is an incredible gift. And when I was young as a Christian, I discovered that I was actually adopted twice. First by my, bio- my adoptive parents here in Elk Grove, but then also by my Heavenly Father. That my Heavenly Father adopted me. And in the adoption that he provided for me, gave me a new identity, no longer substantiated based upon what I am or what I do, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Adoption in the Bible was one of the, again, a great gift because it took some, someone who had no identity, no purpose in life, and gave them identity and purpose in life. So as we begin, let us understand that Jesus not only rescued us from sin and death and the evil one and the wrath of God, he then adopted us in this great salvation that he provides for us. And in adopting us, he has given us purpose and identity. And on top of that, he has given us an inheritance. And this is aspects of Christianity that I think we need to be reminded of time and time again. Because truly, it will reshape our understanding of life. You know, adoption today, as great as it is, let us all be honest, that it is a very, very difficult process to go through. You know, my dad literally in 1968 paid $250 for me. He said me, he got me on clearance. 
Um, <laughs> Ushers, deacons, we have a problem here. Wow, I, I don't even know if I can go on after that. Now that I think about it, I paid more for my dog than that too. <laughs> wow. But in 19... <laughs> wow. Uh, all right, amen. Let's close, close it. And Chris, get back up here and we're done. It's amazing to me that in 1968, my dad, through a very reputable organization, was able to adopt a child. Of course, him and my mother. $250. Today, the average cost of adoption is $25,000 to adopt a child who needs a home. And of course, many parents here in the United States who are looking to adopt a child will often go to other countries to adopt a child simply because it is cost prohibitive to do so here in the United States of America. And the legal process that one needs to go through is quite extensive before one can be approved to adopt a child here in the United States of America. As we consider our adoption in Jesus Christ, let us first and foremost understand that it was a legal process in which Christ went through to adopt us and he paid the ultimate price to do so. The legal price that he paid was what is called atonement, where Jesus Christ, as a substitute, provided himself as a sacrifice, a payment for the consequences of the sin in our life, which is death. He served himself as and became death that we may live. He himself being sinless and perfect. He died on the cross, taking our penalty, the consequences of our sins upon himself, and therefore became sin, and therefore became uh, the payment, the propitiation for the death that we have uh, incurred due to our sin. And so he made a legal transaction with God the Father through that atonement, and the cost of that legal transaction was his very blood himself. As Peter says, that it's not by precious stones or gold and silver that we have been purchased, but by the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what Christ has done to provide adoption and to adopt us back to the Father. He has legally uh, satisfied the requirements of God the Father through his own personal sacrifice and through the payment of his own personal blood. But we are not the first to be adopted by God. It starts back in the Old Testament. In Romans 9, 4. The Israelites were adopted by God. And Paul writes his sentence states, They there are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. God adopted a people for himself. When they went into Egypt, a handful of people came out in millions of people. God adopted them and said, I'm going to give you identity and purpose. I'm going to give you an inheritance, which is going to be the land in which I provide for you. And you are going to be my people, my representative, my children here on this earth. But due to the rejection of Jesus Christ, the Jewish people forfeited 
not their identity, not their purpose, not their calling, but they forfeited the progression of God in the new covenant of Jesus Christ and now are uh, waiting for that moment that God once again allows them to see the reality of their rejection through the return of Jesus Christ. But in, its way, in their wake, God grafted us Gentiles in and adopted us, for he says in Romans 8.15, Paul goes on to say, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is something that God made possible for you and I who are not Jewish but Gentile due to their rejection. He has now grafted us into the vine and he has allowed now through Christ for us to have that same adoption that the Israelites once enjoyed. They are still his people and he still has a plan and purpose for them. But right now God is fulfilling the time of the Gentiles. Paul went on in Romans 8.23 when he said not only the creation but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This adoption makes all of this possible. It gives us identity, it gives us purpose, and it gives us an inheritance. It allows us to interact with God like never before. The first aspect of our adoption that we must first embrace is that we are now truly children of God. People want to believe that everyone is a child of God. That is not theologically true. A child of God is only one who is found in Jesus Christ. Though all people are created in the image of God, a child of God can only be a child of God in and through the person of Jesus Christ. That is where the adoption takes place that allows us to become a child of God. Secondly, God provides an intimacy between us and Him through Christ. Many object to describing Christianity as a relationship. They reject because they feel that that's too loose and too uh, irreverent of God to classify and to call that our interaction with God is simply a relationship. But that's what the Bible states. From Genesis to Revelation, God wanted more than just simple obedience. He wanted more than just simple conformity. He wanted our hearts. He wanted us to love Him and therefore, in the love that we have for Him, obey Him as we should. In fact, Jesus stated that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And number three, the adoption provides for us the ability to walk according to the Spirit and no longer according to the flesh. It gives us the ability to walk in a new life with new purpose and a new plan. As one wrote, he says, Paul contrasts the unique relationship conferred upon the believer through God's adoptive work to that of a slave who lives, works, and relates in fear. Those who have been adopted by God into the family of God are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, receiving the blessings, the benefits, the privileges uh, attained by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, let us understand something. 
when God adopted us, it wasn't like him going to an animal shelter and adopting the pet of his choice, you know, the cute one that puts the little nose through the, through the cage and so forth and, and spins around as you do this with your finger and says, oh, I have a connection. And the dog's like, just feed me or let me out. I got to go potty. But, you know. And it wasn't like when my parents came to the adoption agency and, you know, they, they saw me and they said, well, uh, do you have anything else a little cheaper? And I've asked my dad why he ever named me Eric. I said, why did you name me Eric? In fact, my name in the uh, cradle was Buster. That was my name, (laughs) Buster. That was my name in the cradle. Um, And I said, why did you ever name me Eric? And he he said to me, this is exactly what my dad said. He's such a good guy. Uh, He said, we wanted to give you something easy so you could spell it. (laughs) And I said, why didn't you just go with Bob? I couldn't get that one wrong unless I tried, you know. But adoption has worked in my favor quite a few times. There was one time coming home and I pulled up. My dad was cutting the grass and he had this really goofy looking hat on. Brown shirt, plaid shorts, white shoes, brown socks. And I'm like, thank God I was adopted. In fact, when my dad was bawling, uh, bawling, when my dad, he bawled after he adopted me. Um, When my dad was balding, as a man, I said, oh, I'm so glad I'm adoptive and I don't have to worry about that. See, God got me back. Yeah. You know, you're going to disrespect your dad, right? You know, it skips a generation. Well, this had skipped many generations. We want to believe that God saw something in us so special and so unique and so cute that he just had to adopt us. But do you know the Bible says that we were actually at enmity with God before he adopted us, that we were opposed to God due to the sin nature within us and due to the life in which we were living. And the Bible uses a word to describe the reuniting of God with fallen man, and it's the word reconciliation. It's a word that we use in our culture today most often when it comes to two people reconciling after a divorce of marriage. Two people who should be together, who have grown apart together, and now are coming back together. And I think you kind of see the pattern that develops here. You know, we were people that should have been with God, but then we tore ourselves apart from God, and now God is bringing us back to Him through the act of reconciliation. And this is why Paul wrote that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were still enmity with God, it's not us who reached out to God, it was God who was chasing us. It's a unique aspect of this. I think of the prodigal son, and and of course we talk about his relationship with his father. We talk about his his, uh, uh, arrogance in asking for his inheritance early. And then him leaving and departing, only to find that the father had been watching the entire time in which he was gone, waiting for his son to return. This process of reconciliation is the beginning of this adoption bringing two parties that are estranged or in dispute together. As one stated, he says, Jesus Christ is the one who brings together God and man with salvation as a result of of this, brings them together in union. Reconciliation basically means, in a biblical sense, to change or to exchange. The idea is of a change of relationship, an exchange of antagonism for goodwill, enmity for friendship. 
Attitudes are transformed and hostilities are ceased between the two. As James wrote in 4.4, he reminded his readers, he said, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Or Paul stated in 2 Corinthians 5.19-21, That is, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. This reconciliation then led to this ultimate fact of adoption. And in the biblical sense, four things happens in the adoption process. Number one, the adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all the rights of his fully legitimate son as a fully legitimate son in his new family. The Bible says that you and I, before coming to Jesus Christ, were under the authority of the wicked one. In fact, Jesus identifies that authority when he rebukes the religious leader and he says, God is not your father, but the ruler of this world, Satan, is your father. The devil is your father. In the adoption process, we are no longer subjugated to the evil tyranny of Satan. We are now in the family of God. And our dad has our back. And our dad now has made uh, promises for us to hold on to and to keep in trying times, knowing that he's perfectly capable of fulfilling the promises that he has made to us. As adopted sons and daughters of God, we have become joint heirs with Jesus Christ and we have become heirs to his new father's estate. I would strongly encourage you that maybe the next time you see a great light um, you know, display somewhere, and there's two. Uh, before I forget, there are two really great light presentations right now. One at the Morton Arboretum and the other one at the Chicago Botanical Gardens. If you have a chance, go check them out. Spectacular. But after doing so, or any, seeing any dynamic light you know, presentation, I want you to read Revelation 21 and 22 and remind yourself of the new heavenly kingdom that God is preparing for us. And I think it'll be a great segue for you to imagine what you are going to experience in, the, in our heavenly Father's estate for all eternity. And how that estate allows everything in this world to pale in comparison. That there's nothing in this world that is greater than what God can provide for us. And number three, this is one that I love. The old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. Did you know that? The old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out in this culture. Once an individual became adopted, anything that happened beforehand was nullified. And they were giving a do-over, a fresh start in life. 
Isn't this interesting when we read the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul finishing his idea about the reconciliation of man and God says that we are now a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are brand new. This is what God provides for us. For example, in the adoptive scenario there in Israel, for instance, legally all debts were canceled. They were wiped out as if they had never been. And number four, in the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally, absolutely the son of his new father, meaning that no one could challenge the adoption. The adoption once finalized was finalized. And once we are in Christ, I believe the adoption process becomes finalized. And you and I are given a privilege like never before to make a statement. That statement is two words. It is a two-word phrase that Jesus used at the beginning of the prayer that he used to example to his disciples and show them how to pray. For in Matthew 6, 9, he says, when you pray, he says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. John went on to elaborate more on this when he said in John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul, picking up on this in Galatians 4, 6, and 7, stated this. He said, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer slaves, but a son, and if a son, then an error through God. Not an error, an error through God. It's an incredible understanding of who we are. Being adopted myself, I realize the incredible opportunities that my adoptive parents afforded me that I may not have had otherwise. Growing up in a nice neighborhood, growing up in a nice home, we still had problems and difficulties and some were severe. But I do believe that they still afforded me opportunities that I may not have had otherwise, allowing me to enjoy those opportunities and to become the man that God wanted me to become. I think it is interesting that God knew before the foundations of the earth that this child would be born here in Evanston and he would be given up for adoption and he would be brought into a family and a another town, and in that town would be a small church. And in that church, that young man was going to come and receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior at 16 years old and grow up to be a pastor of a church himself, something that could not have been orchestrated or developed in any other way. Some may say, well, isn't that just chance? No, I believe that it's providence, the hand of God taking me each step of the way. Your adoption means everything to your identity and purpose as a person. I am constantly reminded of people who are trying to find their personal identity in everything in this world. Finding it in their job, 
you know, in the 90s and early 2000s and before when you asked somebody what, what they did for, uh, you know, for their life or if you asked somebody about themselves, the very first thing they would give you is their career. I'm a teacher. I'm a police officer. I'm a doctor. And for many, that's the identity in which they saw themselves. But as time went on, people also found their identity in those in whom they associated themselves with and the organizations that they associated themselves with. And they looked to establish a personal identity for themselves by simply reiterating the shoulders in which they rub and the people in whom they knew. And of course, we also had that wave of people trying to uh, develop and devise their identity by their material possessions, right? I remember when everybody had to have a Lexus. Everybody had to have a Lexus at one time. Then everybody had to have a Beamer and so on and so forth. And through our material possessions, and this started way back in school. You know, you know what it was like going back in school. You know, now this is uh, years ago before the internet, you know, and life did ex- exist before the internet. You know, you had to have the right shoes, right? You had to have Nikes, white with black stripes. You had to have the right jeans. For boys, it was Levi's. For girls, it was Jordache, you know, or Bonjour, you know. Or then you had to have the right concert t-shirts. Or you had to have the right polo shirts with the little alligators, you know, and so forth. And this really was trying to develop your identity amongst your peers, you know, I had it rough in school because every single time I told my mom and dad what I felt that I need, needed, they became deaf, deaf in some way, or they just felt that because I was adopted, I didn't need those things. So instead of getting uh, Nike gym shoes, I got Wilson's from Kmart, and they were black with orange stripes, okay? You know what they said to the world around me? Beat me up, please. Instead of Levi's, Wrangler, okay? You know? Even when my mom and dad bought me a lunchbox, you know this, I'm still psychologically scarred from it. I asked for a Star Wars lunchbox when I was in elementary school. And I couldn't wait. And my mom said, okay, I'll get you a Star Wars lunchbox. And I was so excited. They came back from the store and I said, where's my lunchbox? Oh, it's on the counter. And I'm like, I don't see it. I'm sorry, I don't see it. No, it's right there on the counter. Did they get me a Star Wars lunchbox? Could I make it of any clearer which one I wanted? Did I get that? No, they bought me one with the Waltons on it. Okay? I ate lunch in the bathroom for the next three years. But we all were in one of those positions where our identity was based upon what we had and who we associated with or what we did. But you know what the problem is today? Our society has now erased all of personal identity. In their continuous objective of creating everything equal, they wanted to eliminate all identity, and that's exactly what they've done. People don't know who they are anymore. They don't know where they belong. Some don't even know the gender in which they carry. Their personal identity has been erased, and therefore, as a result, their purpose has been erased. And the reason for erasing that identity is so that the world can place their identity upon you. 
but Jesus is saying, I have adopted you. I have given you an identity. You know who you are? You are an heir to all that Jesus Christ has. And the God of all the universe is your father. And you're rubbing shoulders with the one who created all things. Material possessions. My father has a a cattle on a thousand hills. What can he possibly not provide for you? We are Christians in Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. The world has nothing to offer. Now they continuously claim that they do. And people continuously get misled. And ultimately, each and every time they come to a dead end, where they realize that the world cannot provide for them what only Christ can provide. Can the world provide a joy that is unspeakable? How about a peace that surpasses all understanding? How about a love that is unconditional? No. This leads to our inheritance. The believer's inheritance in God is God himself and all that he has bestowed. And this confirms the identity of the person due to the inheritance in which they have. One wrote in his devotion, he said this, Many of our homes are filled with precious treasures that were passed down to us from previous generations. Because we have families, we share their legacy in the values and in the wisdoms they have tried to teach us and even in the material goods that they have left us behind. The same concept of a rich spiritual inheritance is repeated throughout Scripture. The singular, wonderful thought expressed is this. All that belongs to Jesus Christ belongs to his saints. The believer's inheritance includes the unconditional love of God, forgiveness of sin, the presence of God in this fallen world, and the riches of eternal life in the age to come. Can any earthly thing in this world compare to the inheritance that we have in and through Christ Jesus? As Paul stated in Colossians 1, 11 through 14, he said, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin. This is the precious promise of the adoption that God provides for you and I. It's an adoption that also provides for you and I an inheritance. That when Jesus Christ died, he imparted to us eternal life and placement within the kingdom of God. It allowed us to interact with God and to experience His unconditional love for ourselves and our hearts. Any identity that I try to derive from the world is going to simply, simply, simply fall apart in the wake of all that God has provided for me in and through the person of Jesus Christ. As Peter said to Jesus after Jesus saw the multiples, uh, the multiples, the, multiple, uh, the uh, multitudes dissipating. He said, 
Jesus turned to Peter and the other disciples and said to them, are you two going to leave? And Peter said to Jesus, where else are we going to find the words of eternal life? There's nowhere else for us to go. We as Christians today in 2019 must be reminded of the fact that our identity is that we are in Christ. And once we settle in that, then we'll know who we are. We'll understand this world through the lens of the Scriptures. We will find our place. We'll understand where we fit in this great, great uh, game of Jenga that seems like the whole world is going to fall apart if just one piece is removed. We'll understand for the first time who we are. And how loved we are in Jesus Christ.